All right. Uh, so we're starting a new weekly worship gathering um, this month. And um, with a new form, we thought it would be good to uh, revisit our roots and think about who we are as a community, um, what really drives us to start with the why. Instead of starting with the how or the what, uh, to start with the why. Why do we do what we do? Uh, why do we take on a certain posture in the world? What are our motivations and desires? And many of us in the new year are probably thinking about this personally, too. Um, as we look to a new year, um, what's this year going to be like? Uh, what will drive me to do what I do this year? How can I follow Jesus faithfully in my family, in my in my workplace, in my neighborhood? And starting with why is a good place to begin. So we're in the midst of discussing six motivations that drive us to do what we do, to be who we are as a community. And they drive us personally as followers of Jesus in our workplaces and neighborhoods. Today's motivation is everybody gets to play. Uh, The trouble is, for the better part of Christian history, you might get the impression that only a few get to play when it comes to service and participation in the church. You can see it in our celebrity culture that exists within American Christianity. There's a well-known circuit of leaders, or rather circuits of leaders, depending on what pocket you're in. Um, many of them are identified by the large churches they lead and the publishing houses that put out their many books. Uh, and uh, you can get the impression That there's a relatively small number of people, mainly men, who are doing most of the work in the church while everybody else kind of watches or listens or reads or whatever. Only a few get to play. But this dynamic goes way back in Christian history. It isn't new with our celebrity culture. It goes back to this historic kind of clergy, laity Tension um, in church history that began just a couple centuries after the events and the writings of the New Testament. The clergy being the religious leaders, the laity being a word for the people, everybody else, basically. And this developing dynamic is the sense that the clergy are really close to God. They are superior and they do most, if not all, of the heavy lifting when it comes to spiritual things. And the lady, well, bless their hearts. They can't be trusted with anything but to just kind of listen and take it in and be guided where these very spiritual people tell them they um, should go. Um, listen to this excerpt. And I actually forgot it in my red journal. It's a, it should be my backpack back there, Sarah. Can I run and get that from you? Um, This is I dug this up from the it's little and red. Yes, I dug this up from the constitutions of the holy apostles, which is dated to about 375 A.D. Thank you, sir. Right about the time when Christianity was legalized in Rome. Um, Thereby, you know, when that happened, they adopted a good bit of its culture when it came to to the politics, the polity, the. The, the hierarchy. Uh, so, so listen to this little ditty um, about the bishop. This is just a riot. The bishop, he is the minister of the word, the keeper of knowledge, the mediator between God and you in the several parts of your divine worship. He is the teacher of piety 
And next after God, he is your father who has begotten you again to the adoption of sons by water and the spirit. He is your ruler and governor. He is your king and potentate. He is next after God, your earthly God, who has a right to be honored by you. Let the bishop preside over you as the one honored with the authority of God, which he is to exercise over the clergy and by which he is to govern all the people. What I'm wondering this morning is if we could just adopt that kind of as a leadership policy and storyline. But but seriously, it's no wonder that only a few get to play in this mode. Who wouldn't want to let their earthly God just do all of the work, right? So they could spectate. I mean, God, humanity. Oh, my goodness. I remember hearing Galen Van Rienen, the founder of Mission Alive, uh, speak about how the American church had become like. And some of you have heard me talk about this before. Um, The American church had become like this hierarchical triangle with a small amount of leaders kind of at the top um, doing most of the work and the rest of the folks kind of down below, um, not as important or whatever, um, spectating, participating, watching. And evangelism in this mode of church kind of becomes, hey, come into this triangle and hear the religious professionals talk about the gospel because you're really not capable of sharing it yourself. Uh, We need a religious professional to do that so that your friends could hear that and come to faith and become part of the church and find salvation and all that that good stuff. And then he described this alternative. What if the triangle got tipped over where instead of this hierarchical triangle, it was a wedge that was engaging the culture around it and the neighborhoods uh, around it. And instead of performers, the leaders were equippers and fellow participants with the members of the church in the mission of God in their surrounding neighborhood and culture. And when I heard Galen talk about that, it's probably been, oh, uh, 15 or 16 years ago when I was a, a, a young seminarian listening to him talk about that. I heard him describe that and thought, that's what I got to do. That that I'm, I'm all in on that alternative vision of church. I want to be a part of that. And eventually we ended up partnering with Mission Alive to start Storyline and all of that kind of formally started about 12 years ago. Storyline was started almost 10 years ago. That's crazy. Um, so we were kind of birthed with this this uh, alternative mentality. But this fall, Paul and I were working through some material by a guy named Mac Lake, who is like a leadership and systems genius uh, about developing a leadership pipeline in the church. Basically, how do we create pathways for people when they become part of our community to kind of grow up into service and leadership and having a part in what we're doing? And so this material describes different stages of the pipeline, like leading yourself first and then leading others and then leading leaders and then helping to lead the whole a whole community of faith. And the first stage, leading yourself, refers to participating in ministry, kind of um, serving, you know, getting involved, uh, uh, you know, joining in. And as we uh, as we reflected on this, the, the main term that they used to describe this leading yourself 
is being a member of the team. You know, if the church is like a team, you're joining the team, you're a member of the team, you're making a contribution. As we were thinking through this, it dawned on me that for several years, and I'll, I'll own this myself, maybe nobody else has, but I have called the leaders, the ministry leaders in Storyline. Some of you will be familiar with this, the, the ministry team. Um, and it dawned on me that all these years we've called the leaders the ministry team as if to signal that if you are not a ministry leader, you are not on the team. You don't get to play. You get to watch. Oh, snap. I, 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 fell, I fell for it, right? Like it, for all of our value for everybody getting to play, uh, it kind of snuck up on us. This, this culture of only few gets to play, it can, it can subversively kind of sneak in there and, and, and co-opt even our best intentions at being more inclusive in participation. I repent. What about you? Um, what are other ways that you see this only a few get to play kind of mentality at work, either in the church or in the world? Yeah. Right. So if you're female, you're good. You can do everything. Yeah. Why as long as it's with kids? Touche. Yeah. <laughs> or cooking. Yeah. Potlucks. Check. Hospitality. Yes. Hospitality. Yeah. I've been in 40 years. I've been in different churches, different sizes, different denominations, and always. Few people do too much, and most people do too little. You know, and, and I think a lot of it is, is being flavored by our consumer materials society spectators. You, you use the word spectator several times. The Super Bowl, you have what? A few dozen people knocking their lights out and millions of people looking at them. Yeah, you have the teens and the spectators. Yeah. And there's money going on to keep that puppy going. Yeah. You, know, you, you have a few anchor people with all the pretty makeup and all the cloth. You know, suits and a, and a zillion techie people putting those bozos in front of us. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, good analogy. <laughs> Sarah, you say Yep. Right. And then that's our team. Yeah. So the value for excellence kind of uh, inherently leaves a good number of folks out who might not measure up to whatever the standard of excellence is for that. Jen? Yeah. Along the same lines, you know, like there may be people who are uh, gifted at, at music or worship, but, you know, they might not be as gifted as someone who's way better. And so, you know, this need to compare ourselves with others makes me, you know, makes us feel like, you know, well, I shouldn't do it. There's people that are way better than me. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, we all feel that way, right? There's mm. always someone that does it better than me. Mm. Yeah, that's right. 
Good word. Yeah. Miles and then Daryl. Okay. Uh, so I, well, I love this, the theme we're vamping on of our own selves, and, and I always think about with this what uh, Clayton Christensen says, and this, he's a famous business professor in his TED Talk. He says, um, you know, as human beings, we try to measure ourselves by the boxes we manage. You know, and, and in the business world, we see that if I manage one team well, I'll get a, a bigger team, and then I'll get a department, and then I'll mm-hmm. become the CEO and manage all of these. And we, we grade ourselves whether we manage you know, one box or a thousand boxes. Mm-hmm. So as we are skilled and we move up, we think we are adding value by, by managing more boxes. I love he says, God doesn't care how many boxes we manage. God yeah. doesn't keep score. Yeah. What he wants is faithful stewardship over one box or a thousand. Um, and I think so often we measure our value by how much we can do. You know, I can lead worship, and then I can you know, do communion, and I can share a thoughtful thing and a prayer, and then all of a sudden we tend to lift up these people that can do all the boxes. Mm. Uh, but we need to encourage people, even if it's one or, or a few things, to try their talents against them. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. This also creates consumeristic mindset where mm. I judge you based on your ability uh-huh. Like what you're saying, and I come, I come to a, re- I call it restaurant Christianity. I go to a restaurant because I like the food, and I like the service. If I don't get good service, I go to some other restaurant. Yep. You know, and so if the service here doesn't impress me, then I go to where I like the service better, or where I'm, where my needs are taken Right. And all, all of that, that consumer dynamic, only further ramps up the pressure to perform, thus excluding people who might not measure up or you know, be able to perform at whatever arbitrary level that we've designated. We don't want the kids in charge No. Oh, that would be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, Ben. Uh, I'm thinking not only about how everyone plays the dynamics within the church, but the posture the church takes towards the world in that um, oftentimes we tell the world, we'll play with you, but only if it's on our terms, our terms. Yeah. Uh, that the world has to come to the church, either a physical location or that that relying on our neighbors or the world and their hospitality, what they have to offer, mm-hmm. uh, is really really hard. So mm-hmm. the posture of everyone plays is not just uh, within the life of the church itself, but it's posture towards the world. Yeah, absolutely. Man, you were um, you're beating me to the punch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. That's where it's at. Um, if you, that's right. Shall, shall we pray? <laughs> uh, it, uh, if you've got a, we should have paper Bible somewhere. Do we have paper Bible somewhere, Paul? Then he gets put out. Oh yeah, there's some stands. I don't have any slides, so we can take some of these. Um, does anybody need a paper Bible? Is everybody digital? Okay. Um, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians uh, 12, that's the text that we're, we're digging in today about this. What's that? Oh. Well, yeah. That's good. Some, somebody may want to, you know, write or put notes in their Bible or something. So both and, not either or. Um. So the, the church in Corinth, the text, this text that we read from 1 Corinthians 12, um, is uh, the community in Corinth, Greece. And they were also struggling in their own way with this kind of sickness of only a few get to play. Um, the church was made up of a bunch of folks who are fresh out of paganism. And its culture uh, related to 
religion and spirituality. For instance, the, these Greeks really valued stuff like ecstatic utterance. Um, and I'm not going to demonstrate it. Um, what, what Paul called the tongues of men and of angels. So sometimes it was language that somebody from, uh, from a foreign land could understand. Sometimes it's just ecstatic, angelic kind of utterance. And this was a really big deal in like the temple of Diana and the temple of Apollo in the surrounding area. Their prophets and more times prophetesses, um, they communicated from God to people through these ecstatic utterances. So it was a it was a sign that you were a a spiritual tuned in kind of person. And this made its way into the church in Corinth such that you if you couldn't perform these utterances, or do this tongue speaking thing, you were not as spiritual or holy or whatever as the folks who could. The tongue speakers saw themselves as like a, an elite class, the people who really got to play in the things of the spirit. And it's into this whole mess that Paul writes his letter um, to the church in Corinth, what we know as First Corinthians, and especially the section of chapters 12 through 14. So I'm going to read again just a little bit of uh, this larger excerpt that we heard from Julie earlier, Um, starting in verse four. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts. And I'm kind of skipping. Sorry, I skipped to 11. Now I'm in 12. No. Yeah. Now I'm in 12. Just as a body, though one. Everybody's getting really confused over here. Sorry. Verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body where the Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body's not made up of one part, but of many. So a few observations about this text. The first observation, Paul says the church has different kinds of gifts, different kinds of services, different kinds of workings. And gift is the word that he uses most often. And this is significant. Uh, This word, as you heard in Julie's reading, is literally translated grace uh, or grace gift. In other words, this gift comes from God and you don't deserve it. You don't earn it. You don't do something to get it. You don't control it or manage it. You just receive it. It is given to you. One theologian observes that Paul intentionally shifts from using the language of spiritual to using the language of gifts so that no one could lay claim to having some corner on the market of the things of the spirit. But rather, he was using this language of gifts so everyone would have to acknowledge that we're getting this from somewhere. We're getting this gift for the body from someone beyond ourselves. Everyone's gift is derivative of the spirit. The spirit, verse 11, decides who gets the gifts and not anybody else. And that is necessarily humbling. And notice in this little section from four to uh, 
uh, 7 to 11, how he puts that tongue speaking thing at the almost at the very end of the list. That's on purpose. He's like, hey, all you ecstatic utterance folks, let's let's bring you down a few notches so that you can see kind of your relative worth in the scheme of things and realize, man, there's some other gifts in the body that are really good for the body. It's not all about you. You're not as amazing as you think that you are. Second observation. Um, Notice how Paul describes the divine community at work through these different gifts. Um, Verse four. The spirit distributes verse five. It's the same Lord Jesus who's directing verse six. The same God at work, father, son and spirit. The divine community is at the source of these gifts in verses four through six. And this was important for Corinth because in their pagan background, different deities, different gods and goddesses were responsible for different activities. So Paul is saying, no, it's not coming from different sources. It's coming from the one true God, from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Third observation, everybody in the church has a gift or a service to offer. Verse 7, to each one, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Paul says the church is like a body and it has many parts, has arms and legs, it has eyes and a mouth. Uh, Each part makes a contribution to the functioning of the body. You receive gifts when you receive the spirit. You receive the spirit in conjunction with your baptism. Verse 13, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Every baptized person in the body has a gift or a service to offer. Jews are Gentiles, slave or free, black brown or white, male or female, young or old, gay or straight, Republican or Democrat, rich or poor. Everybody gets to play. So what are spiritual gifts anyway? Because there is a little confusion about that. Let me tell you what I don't think they are. I'll tell you what I think they're not. Um, They're not necessarily your strengths or your talents. Um, If that were the case, who needs the spirit? You just rest on your strengths and talents. There's no Holy Holy Spirit involved in that. Certainly there's overlap sometimes in our strength. Um, But sometimes think about Moses um, saying, who am I? What can I do? God said, I'm going to gift you to do what you need to do. Sometimes God uses us and calls us into something where we feel weakness. And that can be good for us. And it can also be good for other people. Um, Also, I don't think they're necessarily permanent. Um, Paul uses the word manifestation, as in it can show up, it can manifest, and it can go away. Sometimes gifts come in seasons, and seasons can change. And yet, sometimes also those seasons can last a long time. It, the, the, the bottom line is we don't possess or determine uh, the season. We receive the gift as it comes. We receive whatever gifts as they come. And, and um, another thing I don't think it is, is uh, spiritual gifts is not an exact exhaustive list that we could take some test that has the, the predetermined number of possible spiritual gifts that you could ever have in the universe. And you could determine individually, personally, these are the gifts that I have. And now I'm going to use them. 
And the reason we know that this can't be true is because Paul has three different lists that he rolls out in the New Testament. In Romans 12, in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, and they're all different. And so, uh, church in Rome, church in Ephesus, church in Corinth, they must have had different contexts and circumstances, different challenges and issues that made different gifts come to the surface. The same is true for us. Our gifting, our giftedness, our, our need for gifts in the storyline community or any church, wherever our context, it's, it's highly contextual, right? Uh, technology brings about a whole new set of gifts that can bless the church and bring the common good for the church, right? So there's no exhaustive list. It has to be discerned in community and in context. I would say spiritual gifts are grace given by the Holy Spirit to individuals within the church for the good of the church in the world. And I think that's really where it's at. Is, is, is this a gift? Well, uh, is it serving the common good? Is it blessing the body? Is it blessing the world? Um, Then, yeah, that helps us get down the road in knowing if the spirit is giving this for uh, for the sake of the church in the world. Help me out here. If you can't take a test necessarily that tells you what your gifts are. And that's not to say you couldn't hypothetically take spiritual gifts test and it might you know, be helpful. I just wouldn't want that to be the end of the road for you. Yeah. But if, if, if you can't just take a test and determine it individually, how would one discover what spiritual gifts, gift or gifts that they have um, for service in the church in the world? How would we discover that? Come on. What's that? By doing things. You roll up your sleeves and you jump in. And what happens when you start doing things like how? So I should just start doing whatever. What? Anything? And and how do I know when I get in it if I have a gift or not? People start to affirm things. In you. Okay. The, the body starts to say, to say, wow, that was great. I, I love that. You, know, you should do more of that. Yeah. Yeah, so there is a communal discernment. There's affirmation that comes from people around us that says, yes, this is good. This is helpful. Yeah. I think there's a call that comes along with the gift. Mm. I haven't, I haven't looked through the Bible to find those pages definitively, but I don't think we have any stories of God giving somebody a gift and not telling them about it. Yeah. Right? Like, Moses, mm. he, he, he told Moses, I need to go do this, and then he enabled him to do it. Yeah. So pay attention to what, what is being put on your heart, to what, what you see in the world, to what's going on around you. And if you feel called to go do something, or if you see a need that you want to address, Trust that God's going to give you what you need to do it. Yeah, right on. Yeah, another way to get at that call is just to ask Paul, and he can tell you what God is calling you to do, right? Which, which you know. That's one of his gifts. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Which, it's on the Google spreadsheet. <laughs> that's right. You can get it. That's right. Which I think that is. That is. God is calling you to do this. Yeah. That was his voice. Yeah. Uh, uh, which I think, honestly, is one, something we want to resist a little bit um, uh, in that I think some of the some of what goes wrong in consumer church is thinking about, OK, we have all of these spots we need to fill. And we do. We have some. Um, and so basically uh, using people, people's gifts amounts to plugging people in and pushing play, um, you know, as if there's a perfect alignment between. 
um, the gifts that God is bringing to the table and these preconceived roles that we have in our mind. There's got to be wiggle room for what is the spirit doing in the church and how do we make space for the spirit to do things through people that we do not expect or plan for or, you know, that aren't um, dreamt up by you know, some of our leaders. Is that, is that fair? I think there's a balance there, but I, I do think we need openness to the spirit. Again, if he's the one going to be leading us and not, and not us, if we're following his, his cues first. Dara. Something that I almost said, maybe it's something that resonates with you, but I, I'm backing off of that now. Because, you know, Elijah and, and, and Moses and all those, uh, what I'm recalling from those stories is it didn't resonate with them. God mm. says, I want you to do this. And they're going, no, <laughs> Jeremiah, I'm too young. I can't speak. God yeah. says, don't say that. Yeah. I'm going to do it anyway. And so part of me says that it's not necessarily something that resonates with you, that you feel drawn to. Yeah. But it is something that you're definitely, God is pointing you to. And he will let you know. That it's it's accomplishing its purpose. And it's something it is. Maybe the resonance will come later. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, through validation, through actually seeing results of it. Maybe it won't. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's a good thought. Right on. I feel like when we go to Alamo on Sunday nights and playing games in the bar, that is not a natural giftedness for me. I enjoy games, but like these are sort of like next level <coughs> brain that games. And, um, but I felt like God was definitely calling and sending us there. Um, and, you know, so whether I, whether I exactly resonate with it or not, like, I feel like it's interesting that when you, if you feel God is calling or sending you somewhere and you have kind of that reaction of, this is not a primary giftedness for me, um, going and just kind of being like, you know what, I feel like God is calling me to do this, so I'm going to do it and see what happens. And I have felt like the, of the gift has not been playing games, but I make good conversation with people, and I can talk to people and connect with people, even if I'm like, what the blank is going on in this game? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sarah Walker usually tells me, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Yeah. <laughs> This last summer, we took a mission trip to Canada. Uh, I want to say nine of us, eight or nine of us. And um, this trip to me was a beautiful picture of um, of how the church comes together with many different parts to make a to make contributions, to do something together. Um, And, you know, when we take mission trips, we learn this, in fact, from a former storyliner, Kara Wilson, who's down in El Salvador. And when we went to, on mission to El Salvador, she said, okay, I don't have pre-programmed things for you all to do. I want to know what, what are the gifts on the team and how does that intersect with what we need? And let's put something together based on that. And we had such a good experience doing that that we were like, let's do that again. General Road, uh, we, want, we were working with the General Road Church of Christ, which is one of our Mission Alive 
community church plants um, in the Mission Life family, and they're in Regina, Saskatchewan. And so we asked Kevin Vance, you know, what uh, what does General Road need right now? And what, what might be the intersection between the gifts and the talents on this team of people and what General Road needs? And so it became really clear in our conversation. Um, we really need we're exhausted. We need a break. We need to be refreshed. We need to be taken care of and recharged. And we're like, OK, well, what do we have? OK, so we have we have Sarah Holland who organizes spiritual retreats for come before winter. Uh, renewals. That's what they needed. They need renewal. That's right. It's not a retreat. It's a renewal. Language is important. So so Sarah does this kind of like for most of her life. She's good at that. Okay, that's something. Um, you know, we've also we've got music leaders. Uh, Paul is a great uh, music leader and a teacher. And Julie McMullen is a prayer ninja. And and so we thought, you know, what what if we what if we uh, do a spiritual renewal for the General Road team? And we have a retreat to a, a campsite and we just take a weekend together to be together. And so uh, so we we had these great times of. Um, spiritual retreat together. You know, uh, Julie made appointments with different people to pray for them and to kind of go deep in prayer. That was really meaningful. Um, you know, Paul did music and some teaching. Um, my favorite thing um, was to see these newly baptized followers of Jesus, um, Brittany and my son, Ryan Kaiser. This was like one of their first opportunities to get to discover gifts that the Spirit was giving them. And so Ryan, he loves sports. And we're like, okay, um, what, what could you do with that? He was like, well, I, I could lead the sports. You know, I could, maybe I could, uh, we could play football or ultimate frisbee. And so that's Ryan Kaiser. Um, he was the point person for that. His 11-year-old self, it was beautiful. And then Brittany, she, she uh, had this draw to helping people engage the arts, because that can be therapeutic. And so she arranged times for painting and for crafts. And she's also an incredible masseuse. She was honestly the most popular person on our team, uh, because she would make these uh, hand and foot massage appointments with the members of the team. And they would just come out and you could tell they're just totally zen after these sessions with Brittany, who's a brand new Christian learning to use her gifts in the body of Christ for the sake of the world. It was just this beautiful picture of this team working together like a body, each with its own part to play where everyone gets to play. Hear the good news in your baptism and in the reception of the Spirit of God, you became a gift for the body of Christ, for its benefit and encouragement. And not just for the body of Christ, but also for the world. Because the body of Christ exists not for itself, but for the good of the world. The world, in fact, is itself in the process of becoming part of the body of Christ. And each of us gets to be a part of that. And if you're wondering, what is my gift or gifts? What is my part to play? Let's talk. Let's discern together how God is calling you and leading you because everybody gets to play. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, 
Help us to receive this word um, into our hearts, into our community. God, would you continue to be at work in our body, um, uh, building us up in love and in truth and in service and in um, and in maturity. God, for for the sake of becoming like your son, Jesus, and also for the sake of serving and blessing uh, our neighbors and our friends um, and inviting them into your kingdom for the sake of working for justice and righteousness in our city and in our country. Uh, God, would you would you uh, would you distribute your gifts as you will in your Holy Spirit? Would you make us your humble recipients? Would you help us to remember always that everything, all the strength that we have, all of the abilities ultimately come from you and from your Holy Spirit in Christ? I pray. Amen.